from KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, and WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WNUC in Detroit, and BikeTalk.org worldwide. This is Bike Talk. Bike Talk. Welcome to Bike Talk. I'm Taylor Nichols. And I'm Lindsay Sturman. And we have Anne-Marie Drolet. Hey, y'all. Nice to be here. This morning, I had the quintessential Los Angeles bike ride. I rode with a friend from West Hollywood out to the ocean. How is that for an LA ride? For all you people that are back east, riding on your trainers in the basement or on your Peloton, <laughs> eat your heart out. Anne-Marie, did you ride today? I did. I rode to and from work in lovely oh. LA rush hour traffic. <laughs> Anne-Marie, do you ride every day? I do. Yeah, I'm used to it, but you know, it's still a little bit stressful since it's LA and it's very crowded and drivers can be a bit much sometimes. Right. Well, and Rhea, that goes right into your business, right? Your business is bike share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm a mechanic at the bike share. I get to work firsthand on one aspect of our micro mobility that hopefully we can see more of and get more ridership out of and Hopefully it can keep growing. We have an interview later in the show with Allison Cohen, who's your boss, right? Yes, she is the absolute best. Being a mechanic for bike share, that's such a cool job. Yeah, it is cool. I've learned how to work on very weird components that you don't see every day, uh, like roller brakes uh, (laughs) and like clutch derailers. Yeah, I've learned a lot. It's a fun job. I was a courier before. So I learned a lot about bike mechanics that way and just kind of fell into this. We've been getting a lot of listener emails lately, and this one is from Reese, who's a Utah listener, and he made his first public comment at a city council meeting in favor of connecting bike lanes. And it was the first time that he'd made public comment. So we're going to play a quick clip of his public comment at the city council meeting. I wanted to comment on, well, first, how grateful we are. Uh, we live in the Independence area for the great bike paths that are in the neighborhoods and that connect a lot of the different housing areas and, and schools and whatnot. But a lot of those bike paths need to be connected. And so I wanted to comment on the need for a protected bike lane to then make all the other cycling infrastructure much more util, just making trips easier. My, my daughter and I bike a lot and... You know, we notice because we're on we're on the ground uh, places that can be improved. It's important for safety for the children, for anyone, frankly. Pedestrian fatalities when they are uh, struck by a car increase significantly above 40 miles an hour. Putting in a curb separated bike lane that basically impedes cars from swerving into the bike lane, whether they're distracted or whatever happens, if there's not protection there for the cyclists, they're in more danger. The infrastructure could go in, it would be simple, straightforward, and it would provide a a big benefit and maybe serve as an example to other areas that could use this infrastructure. This is going to be first and, and foremost in the transit system. And so I think that we can look forward and plan now to make the cycling better in independence. And I I guess that's the end of my comment. Will you add your email to the sign-in sheet and then we can have staff reach out to you? Thank you. Great. What I loved is what he said about making a connected bike system. I mean, you see 
the bike system now is so disjointed and it's dangerous. You can have great bike lanes and safe intersections, then boom, it just goes away. And suddenly you're just, you know, riding on a freeway and yeah, kind of dumps you out and uh, (laughs) makes you fend for yourself. Right. Yeah. Those intersections can be the weakest link in the chain of safe biking infrastructure. And if there's a weak link, people won't use the infrastructure that's there because they get to that intersection and it's no longer safe. The type of rider you'll get is determined by the weakest link. Exactly. Here are some comments that we found at the Coastal Conservation League. They suggest keep it brief when you're speaking to a city council. Start with an introduction and tell them who you are and why it's important that you're there speaking on this topic. Make your most important topic first. Put that out mm, there first. Use that's bullet interesting. Points. And then the last thing that they talk about is avoid too much background information or filler that can clutter up your argument. Lots of times there are more than one people speaking on an issue. You hit one point on that issue and move on and let others make other points. We hope that other listeners will get more involved in their communities and make public comments to the city council or the neighborhood councils. Seriously, because it makes such a huge difference. I was part of a movement that was trying to get something into our housing element. 30 phone calls and we like moved mountains. When you speak up, people listen. Right. Well, that's the good news of what's been going on. The the bad news of what's been going on is in cities like Los Angeles, pedestrian deaths are at an eight-year high. They've doubled in the past eight years and cyclists are included in that number. And I want to play something for you now. This is the Los Angeles chief of police who's who's actually leaving. And he was on a local news station recently talking about this epidemic of street violence. Before the criminal justice system so that the streets of Los Angeles are safer. It's going to be critical with that is that Angelinos work with us, recognizing that this last year saw an increase in cyclists and pedestrian deaths, for instance, many times it's their involvement of walking outside of a crosswalk or, or perhaps on a roadway that doesn't have a designated bicycle lane, not wearing reflective gear and so forth that results in these tragedies. So uh, it's a collective effort, it's a shared effort. It was a good news story, but I'm also, as I leave this organization and the next chief steps up, He's really blaming the victim for what's happening. And he's also acting like the onus is equal on both sides where it's really not. He blames bikes for riding on roads that don't have bike lanes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Los Angeles has about 5% bike lanes on the roads. I mean, yeah, it's just really ridiculous. There's this assumption that people don't want to bike. And we know it's not true. We know 90% of people will bike. The idea that People are just recklessly riding bikes out there. We want people on bikes because otherwise we're all going to be stuck in traffic having more road rage. Right. It seems to me that Chief Moore doesn't really get street safety if he's blaming the victim and the road users for you know riding on a street without a bike lane or even without wearing high-vis clothing. Lots of crashes happen in the daytime. The next person I want to introduce into the show is Damien Kevitt of Safe, Streets Are For Everyone. Damien does understand street safety. Damien, welcome into the conversation. Thank you. Good to be back on Bike Talk. Uh, Regular haunt seems to be a more commonly on uh, right around January for some reason, right around January of every year I seem to be visiting. Well, I think there's a reason for that. I think that's because you just hosted another die-in on the City Hall steps in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. We just had, I don't know if, how do you say a successful die-in? Yeah. Obviously, the purpose of the die-in is not just to do it, but to raise awareness, to get the media attention, to sound out through the halls of, of City Hall and say, hey, 
WTF. I mean, one of these years, I'd like to be able to say, hey, the traffic fatalities are down, and but they're not. They just keep going up. And I think the whole goal of Vision Zero is that there are zero traffic deaths. Um, yes, that is theoretically the goal. I mean, we're just not doing Vision Zero. I, somehow or another, we're whatever the city of LA is doing, and, and that's fairly laid out in the, the report that we just published on traffic fatalities. We're, we're like doing the opposite of Vision Zero. We're, we're literally making it worse uh, to the point now where we're, you know, 81% more fatalities than, wow. than last year. And you can go over every single stat and it's just across the boards worse. Is there one main reason Vision Zero has been such a failure? Traffic fatalities are a multifaceted problem. You can't sit there and go, well, it is only this. Speed is the primary factor. So can we reduce fatalities by addressing the issue of reckless speeding? Yes. Will that therefore handle all fatalities? No, because it's not just reckless speeding. Drugs and alcohol are actually becoming a more and more prominent factor in drivers. I'm so excited about Scott Wiener's speed governor bill. If we could get the speeds down, how much of the problem do you think that would be? Let's look at a couple of different factors. First of all, uh, a large percent of the fatalities actually happen on freeways. If you look at the heat maps of where fatalities and serious injuries are happening, they're actually primarily on the freeways. And it's not a discussion that we're having in terms of these are, of course, motor vehicle fatalities that I'm talking about. But in terms of pedestrians, 37% of all of the primary collision factors is specifically attributed to speeding. And so, yes, that would address a significant number of those. Just realize, though, you have to think, you know, okay, great. So let's say we were to get that bill through, which it's it's a long shot right now. And, and I know a lot of people are excited about it. There's a lot of people that are not excited about it. I think we need to push on it. We need to, to have that conversation and sort of go through that process. And even if the bill dies this year, it's going to move that needle. And we need to keep moving that needle on the issues of speeding and pedestrian and bicycle fatalities. But let's say we were to get that in, that would be an implementation of something that would start, you know, five, 10 years down the road and would only be implemented as new cars come out. Come onto the road, right? So it wouldn't solve things right now. It would solve things in 20 years. Well, let's, let's talk about the now. bill really quick, Damien, because I want yeah. to make sure that the audience knows what we're talking about. We're talking about state bill in California, 961. And it is a speed governor bill similar to what they have introduced in Europe. So I think Damien makes a great point that it's a hard sell, but it's a start. And it's just one more thing that's going to make the conservative media go berserk that we're taking away you know, uh, people's freedoms by not allowing them to go 30 or 40 miles over a posted speed limit. Yeah. And it's actually, you know, the bill that's introduced is actually currently uh, more aggressive than what's introduced in Europe. This would actually be the implementation of technology that would prevent you, unless you turn it off, you actively turn it off, it would prevent you from driving more than 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. Wow. So it's it's more than just a warning. It's a, okay, you know, no, you're not going 50 miles an hour in a school zone. Right. Great. Hey, Anne-Marie, are there speed governors on any of the e-bikes in the Metro bike fleet? Yes, there are. I believe the top speed is 18 miles an hour, if I remember correctly. I don't ride them all the time since I have my own bike, but right. yeah, it's something pretty low. 
You know, the other reason we know that makes the road so dangerous is that cars are getting bigger. I think the term is the truckification of cars. And there's a new study in, in the UK that says that cars are getting one centimeter wider every two years. I like the term car bloat. Have you seen some of these cars where you need a ladder to get into them? Well, another great thing that is going on is it seems like the Idaho stop law is starting to catch on a little bit. And for people who don't know what the Idaho stop law is, that's basically the stop as yield law. Go to your city council and support the Idaho stop law or the stop as yield law. And you know what's interesting, Lindsay, and everybody really on, on our panel here today is that the Idaho stop law is already law in Arkansas, Delaware, Idaho, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Oregon, Utah and Washington. And, you know, a lot of those states are what I would call red states. And maybe it's about freedom. Isn't the, the whole point of the Idaho stop is you're not stopping, which I kind of love. There we go. And I'm impressed that you remembered all of those states. Well, uh, Damien, I had them written down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also going to be on the ballot in New York State soon and also in Maryland. I think Maryland, it's General Assembly HB 511. So again, if you're listening from Maryland or New York or any of those states, follow our listener email from the earlier in the show and speak up at your local civic meetings. Go to your state legislators. Find whichever your representative is and let them know that you support that. Yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand why the stop as yield or the Idaho bike stop law is important is it reduces the risk to cyclists because they spend less time in the intersection. They're not hidden by a car in front of them in the intersection. Bicyclists still have to follow the right of way, meaning that if another vehicle is at the intersection first, it's your job as the cyclist to give the right of way to that person, let them go through. But then you do not have to stop your bicycle all the way as you go through the intersection. You just have to yield when it's your turn. And in San Francisco, they were starting to ticket bikes that were not stopping at stop signs. So what the cyclists did was they lined up and stopped one by one at every stop sign. And that, of course, stopped traffic for you know <laughs> minutes while each bicyclist waited and then went through the stop sign. Yeah, minutes. Following the law. <laughs> exactly. And we just uh, I love the it, a legal protest. You know, something that we do have to solve is the education of drivers. I Updated. love that. As we update laws, how to educate drivers, because unless you have to go through your driver test at 65 years old, there's not a way in which you are have to be refreshed. Any other use of a machinery or something like that, you constantly have to be updated if you have certification. I love that idea. And aren't there ways to like, if you watch this video, you'll get, you know, you pay less of a DMV fee or you'll pay less on your insurance. I mean, you could have driver's education, ongoing education and get points off and pay, right. essentially pay people to do it. Right. Well, one of the last things I want to talk about before we get into the interviews is I don't know if you've all have heard about this TikTok challenge that is talking people into hitting cyclists on the road. Two different men riding bikes were seriously injured when they were run down by what appears to be the same driver in a stolen car in Melbourne, Australia. Similar attacks have happened in Las Vegas and Huntington Beach, and they think it stems from this TikTok challenge. This is insane. Yeah, that's terrifying. I'm not on TikTok, so I had no idea this existed. 
Yeah. We do a lot of work on street racing and street takeovers. Uh, SAFE does. So we're, we're obviously work on bicycle safety and pedestrian safety, but we're really also doing a lot of work because in especially in South LA, a lot of people are being hit by street racers. Right. And that is fueled. It appears to be we're getting more data and and sort of studying this whole area it appears to be primarily fueled by uh, social media. So wow. this is another example of where you have this issue that's being just pushed forward, whether it's a, a lie, a conspiracy theory or crazy nutsoid idea that you should go run down a bicyclist so you right. can get some views on TikTok. Right. Well, yeah. it's really awful. Yeah, I feel like these ideas go viral so quickly and influencers, maybe they don't realize how much power they have. Mm. So oh, I, yeah. I think they do. That's the whole point. Or yeah. maybe they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're addicted to the like, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like a yeah, drug. It's all for likes. Right. Well, a lot of our news comes from Ted Rogers of bikinginla.com. So Ted, thanks a lot for that. And Damien, thanks for coming on. Any last thoughts about your die-in on Saturday? How many people did you have? And did you have some good speakers? We had over 100 people on the die-in on Saturday. We had uh, Senator Anthony Portantino speaking, Assemblymember Laura Friedman, uh, Councilmember Nithya Raman. Um, all of those speak. We also had a representative, Jeff Jakenberger from Blumenfield's office was there. Speakers from Streets for All, obviously I spoke, Street Racing Kills, Bahati Foundation was there. We had quite a number of organizations that were there and a whole bunch more that supported. We got a lot of news coverage and we really do need to look at Vision Zero and fix it because it is not, we're not even being close to implementing it right now. We're four years out from uh, Olympics. Right. I mean, four years away from the Olympics, who would want to come to Los Angeles knowing that uh, as a pedestrian, they're, they've got a decent chance they're not going to be going back home. Right. I just can't help but feel like this is a protest that can be replicated all over the country at city halls by biking organizations in Detroit, Western Massachusetts, Austin, you know, you name the city. And it's a, an awful but a, a great way to get the word out. So, Damien, thanks very much. Thank you. So our first interview today is Janelle Mataj, a Chicago lawyer who got the Illinois Supreme Court to rule that insurers must provide coverage to cyclists and pedestrians hit by uninsured drivers. So if you have a car, you have to have insurance. It's called uninsured motorist coverage. So in case you know you get in an accident with an uninsured motorist. And that just left cyclists and pedestrians out in the cold if they got hit by an uninsured driver. So now they're actually covered, which is really exciting. So here's our interview with Janelle Mataj. I'm with Janelle Mataj, who's a personal injury lawyer in Illinois, but you took a case all the way to the Supreme Court. I did, I did. And we recently, as of November 30th, we got a decision and it was coincidental. It was my birthday when the decision came out. <laughs> happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. I mean, this was a happy birthday. It was probably one of the top, top three for sure. Well, how important was this case and uh, why? Sure, sure. It was a very important case. It centered around uninsured motorist coverage. And I know a lot of people don't realize this, but if you're driving and somebody that doesn't have insurance hits you, you can use your own insurance coverage to cover you for that. Hmm. The crux of the issue in our case was my client was on a bicycle. He was 14 years old. He got hit by a hit and run driver. And then 
he went and tried to make claim under his father's insurance policy, and they denied it because he wasn't in the car that was declared on the policy. So uh, we, we took the case on. We fought that at the trial level. We lost at the trial level. Then uh, uh, we appealed it to the first district appellate court here. They overturned the trial court, stating that the bigger issue here is Illinois public policy. We want to protect people who are injured by cars. And the Illinois appellate court extended coverage to my client and direct auto, the insurance company appealed to the Supreme court and the appellate court decision still held up. So this means that the policy was changed for all of the state of Illinois. Well, so, and here's the thing that I, I, some people are saying coverage was extended and this is, I guess the important detail here, the way the policy is written. So the actual statute in Illinois says, if you are an insured under a policy, an insurance policy for owning a vehicle or driving a vehicle, then you are covered if you are struck by an uninsured vehicle. So it doesn't have any exclusions, meaning, oh, you have to be in a car or you have to be in the car that's named in your policy. It just says you have to be an insured and are hit by an uninsured vehicle. So our view here at Disparity Law is that the Supreme Court told us what the law is. They're not extending coverage. They're telling us this is how it's always been. It's the insurance companies that are using specific, narrowly tailored language to constrict how much they want to pay out and to prevent a bicyclist from collecting under the uninsured motorist policy. So I've been told that I need to have uninsured motorist coverage, and that's key to this. Correct. And so... And I, I can't speak for any other states. Um, I'm only licensed to practice law in Illinois. But if you get a policy of insurance for your car in Illinois, the insurance company automatically has to offer you uninsured motorist coverage at a minimum of 25000 which is what the state minimum is for liability. So it's automatically there. They always have to offer it. You can't get a policy without getting uninsured motorist. And that's part of the public policy concerns of, hey, you're following the law. You're buying the minimum required insurance. So if you're hit by somebody who doesn't, then we want to make it so that you would be in the same place you would have been had they complied with the law. So the takeaway is you have to have a, an insurance a car insurance policy if you're biking or walking in order to collect under your uninsured motorist coverage. Wow, but maybe we should be able to have uninsured motorist coverage even if we don't have a car. Here's, here's the crux of it. I mean, uninsured motorist goes hand in hand with the liability portion. So the liability insurance you're buying says, hey, I'm purchasing a, a policy of insurance in the event that I hit somebody with my car. So it's specifically a car insurance policy that then offers uninsured. So then we're going into a different area of, well, what kind of insurance policy would we have to issue to a biker who is hit by, you know, uninsured vehicle? Can, can they issue that? I, that's, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm sure they could, you know, if people are paying the premiums, they could issue that. But for our purposes, you know, you have to have a liability policy in order to collect under the uninsured motorist provision. Are there a lot of uninsured drivers out there? Uh, so we've seen an increase of this. And I'm my office is based in Chicago. I live in Chicago. We're seeing a lot of uninsured drivers. We're seeing a lot of hit and run accidents. Uh, there's a lot of stolen vehicles being used for other, you know, other crimes in the area. And they inevitably sometimes get involved in collisions. So there has been an increase in uninsured hit and run vehicles with no license plates. And it's the, you know, my clients call me. I, they don't know where to turn. And we explain to them, listen, you have options under your own insurance. 
was it I, mean, I think a lot of times people bring cases to the Supreme Court because they were looking to bring that case. They were looking to change or, or clarify a, a law or a policy. Sure. Is that the case here or did this just happen? Well, so there was a case that came out in Illinois about 50 years ago where a, a pedestrian was in a parking lot. They got hit by a vehicle and they were able the Supreme Court said that they're able to get insurance, uh, uninsured motorist coverage. That seemed to be the staple uh, uh, for our state. And that's the one we cited in our brief. I think there was some confusion later on with insurance companies starting to use more narrowly uh, restrictive language in their policies. And I think for that reason, because uh, the Supreme Court takes maybe about 3% of the cases that are appealed to them. Hmm. So for that specific reason of just putting an end to any confusion, making it as clear as possible that, hey, if you have an insurance policy and you're hit by an uninsured vehicle, you are covered. We're not going to put any exclusions on that. So you're not necessarily an activist lawyer who was looking to change this, the way the insurance companies work. My whole purpose behind this was to ensure that we take away any avenue for these insurance companies to restrict coverage. You know, we want to limit any possible way that they can go out and collect premiums and not pay out. It's not it was a personal vendetta. But, and again, this is a case where a lot of lawyers in the city might not have taken on. You know, it's a substandard insurance company, 25,000 minimum coverage. So a lot of lawyers might have looked at it and said, ah, pass, I don't want it. But here, this party law, our, our slogan is, you know, Larry wins. Larry Disparty, he's the founder of the firm. And whether that's winning just the money or winning an argument at the Supreme Court, you know, we, we wanted to fight for our client. And if there's other issues that come up in terms of, you know, uninsured motorists, I'm always open to hear the case and potentially talk about how I can help or take it on. So lawsuits are an important part of how policies get made and changed, aren't they? They are. And and I'll, I'll say this. I think in, in this instance, had the Supreme Court ruled the other way, and one of the key things is, you know, public policy of Illinois versus parties' right to enter into a written contract. And had the Supreme Court said, hey, you know what? Uh, this doesn't meet the threshold for us to overturn this contract and we're gonna rule in favor of the insurance company. I'll tell you one thing, and this was already discussed within my firm, we were going to go to Springfield, Springfield, Illinois, our capital, and we were gonna to talk to the legislature and we were gonna do everything we could to help rewrite that portion of the statute to make it clear that bicyclists, pedestrians, skateboarders, you know, somebody on a scooter, if they're hit by an uninsured vehicle, they should get covered. So you're in Chicago? Yes. What's that like for biking? I know you have some activist groups there, like Bike Grid Now. Chicago has always been a bike-friendly city. The problem is we haven't always had the best lanes. We have a wonderful lakefront path, but when it comes to you know driving around vehicles, has always been dangerous. So currently, and I'm seeing this more and more every day, they are putting up more protected bike lanes where cars cannot really get there because you see it all the time. Somebody's making a delivery, they pull into the bike lane, put on their hazards, mm -hmm. go make the food delivery. So the, the city is actively trying to prevent that because of the number of deaths we have you know, every year. And it's, it's been a serious issue here in the city. Was this case where you got uninsured motorist coverage or you, you made it impossible maybe for insurance companies not to pay out when someone gets hit by an uninsured motorist? Was this case like a low-hanging fruit? Are there other cases you can take on that would highlight maybe blocked bike lanes, for instance? I don't know that it was low-hanging fruit. I think that the issue was that we were starting to see this type of language and in insurance policies from the substandards. And it seemed like, you know, once one of them starts, more of them start to doing it. And that was the issue here. So 
the main reason was we wanted to jump out ahead of this. And this was the perfect case to do it because of the fact that we had the language in the policy that I believed was against the public policy and against the statute. Uh, we had the client who, you know, a 14 year old boy had no other means to, to be made whole. So this was the case that we thought if we can get this on appeal and we thought at appeal, it would be done. And then we got the Supreme court. If we can win this decision at the Supreme court, then we are effectively clarifying there's no ambiguity in the statute that you are covered bicyclists pedestrians so we wanted to be very clear on that because you know my client was a bicyclist we had another consolidated case that was a pedestrian they were split up at the appellate level but regardless i wasn't making the argument that bicyclists should be treated different from a pedestrian we, we were considering them all one they're not they're people not riding in vehicles and seeing as how we get a lot of issues here in chicago with hit and run motorists if you're on a bike and this happened and the Supreme Court ruled the other way, you would be extremely out of luck. Other than a homeowner's policy that might help you cover the property damage, you can't really do much for your injuries as far as making you whole or lost wages. So it was very important to get out in front and make sure that we we, we set the precedent that needed to be set, that we specify, and the Supreme Court specified, this is what the state law is, and you cannot get around that with other language. And it's very important here for Chicago. Well, happy birthday to everybody in Chicago who bikes or walks and to everybody in Illinois. Right? Do you know if insurance companies are trying not to have people covered by uninsured motorist coverage in other places? Do you know how it works around the country? There's one case that I came upon while researching for this one, and it was uh, out of Massachusetts, I believe it was, where in the state statute, it includes the word pedestrian in it. And that was a case that my uh, my opponent tried to bring up um, at the oral arguments in our case, stating, well, look, you know, the, the, the legislature, they, they wrote the law. They know how to write the law. They could have said pedestrians are covered, but they didn't they didn't do so. So we have no reason to cover them. And that's when the justices you know, sided with us and saying, no, it, it doesn't matter that the word is not in there. It's any person hit by an uninsured vehicle. Any person that has an insurance policy hit by an uninsured vehicle, you are covered. And that was the takeaway. We're not expanding coverage. We're just defining what the coverage is. And there was some questions from the insurance company saying, well, we don't know how to evaluate the risk. You know, we, premiums might go up. That's not true at all. Standard insurance companies, you know, the big insurance companies that you think about, maybe your, your travelers, your Allstate, your Geico's, they already cover these losses. It's just these substandards are starting to find ways to keep collecting premiums and not pay. And that's why this party law group was very passionate about, you know, taking this case as far as it would go. And we were very happy with the Supreme Court because now we have an answer once and for all. Thanks for doing that. And are there any other cases you're going to look at that might change any other policies? Currently, I don't have anything to, to this magnitude, but it's almost like we play a reactive role sometimes when we see some new policy language added to an insurance contract. And we think, hey, this this is something that could be a, a problem in the future. You know, we react to that. We say, okay, we got to look out for this. And if, if this becomes an issue going forward, then it's something we might have to litigate and potentially take up on appeal. The insurance companies are always looking to find other ways to limit coverage. So these are the issues we look forward to. And if something comes up, we want to be at the forefront. We want to litigate those cases and, and get the right decisions out of those. All right. Jonel Mataj on the front lines in Illinois. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, uh, I was excited to be on this and uh, looking forward to helping other residents of the state to, with any uh, and all legal problems. Thanks for being on Bike Talk. No problem. Thank you very much. 
So this whole case started when a 14-year-old boy was hit by a driver while on his bicycle. And because his dad had auto insurance, he was able to be covered under his insurance. That's such a big deal. I, I wasn't even aware of that. Well, our next interview of the show is Allison Cohen. And I think Allison is your boss, Anne-Marie. Yes, she is. She's the founder and the owner of Bicycle Transit Systems. Can you tell us really quick what's going on with Bicycle Transit Systems? Is there any new update of whether Lyft is going to get the contract or whether BTS is? So we don't know yet. Uh, There's going to be a meeting February 15th. Uh, Well, tentative date, we'll say it could be changed at that next meeting. We're going to see what happens. Um, They might make a decision. They might not. So there's a lot of uncertainty right now, but we'll see what happens. And Anne-Marie, would you lose your job if Lyft got the contract? I wouldn't necessarily lose my jobs. So they did say um, they would recognize the union, but yeah, that's only a 51%. Of the unionized workforce. Again, goes to show you why unions are important. Lindsay, you have a writer's union. I have an actor's union. I love Um, my union. Yep. So I'm here with Allison Cohen, who is the founder and the owner of Bicycle Transit Systems, BTS. Allison, welcome to Bike Talk. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to talk some bikes. Before we get into the, the whole Lyft BTS controversy, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your involvement with starting BTS, what BTS is, where it works, and how you work with Metro Bike Share. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, well, my history with Bike Share goes back 17 years, wow. which is longer than there has been Bike Share in the U.S. <laughs> in 2007, I got obsessed with Bike Share. I heard that a system launched in Paris. I was living in Boston at the time, and I thought that maybe there was a model that would work in the U.S. I started a small company in the Boston area to do bike share. I thought it maybe for private entities at the beginning. And then the city of Boston got interested in doing bike share on a municipal level. Um, I co-founded a company called Alta Bike Share at the time, partnering with an equipment provider and a planning company. And we were the first bike share operations company in the country. This was back in 2008. Wow. And the years of 2009 to 13 were an absolute amazing experience in mountain climb and bike share. Um, As the head of Alta, we won contracts for and launched uh, Washington, D.C. Capital Bike Share, Boston Hubway, which is now Blue Bikes, and New York City City Bike. So I was at the helm then, and I left Alta in 2013. Um, I was uh, a, a small owner and not in very much control of the day to day. And I really wanted to do the work that I was doing, which I absolutely loved, while having more say over how how we did things, the values, how we uh, treated employees. So I started Bicycle Transit then in 2014. And we quickly were able to win uh, contracts in Philadelphia and Las Vegas. And we competed for and won a Metro Bike Share contract in Los Angeles. And under Mayor Garcetti, um, we launched Metro Bike Share and we've been operating it for seven years now. Bike Share is, it's it's been a whirlwind of an industry in in its young 14 year history. It's gone through waves of uh, public support, private funding, Silicon Valley, bankruptcies, and each city, partially because of the setup of the city, partially because of 
the infrastructure and the population density, the transit density, each city has had a different model. Sure. So in New York and Philadelphia, where we have dense transit, dense residential infrastructure, bike infrastructure, it is able to be a completely privately funded system through sponsorship and advertising and user fares, which is amazing that a city can get a transit system at no cost to the city. Right. Los Angeles... Um, from the beginning has been run by Metro and it isn't as much of a biking culture as unfortunately we all know. And therefore it has been, we have been a contracted vendor to Metro um, to undertake. Can you explain what that means? A contracted vendor? Uh, So there's a contract between um, LA Metro and bicycle transit. And it says you're going to launch X number of bikes. And this is the cost it's going to take to operate any sponsorship that comes in goes to Metro. Any user revenues that come in go to Metro. Um, so that's the current, and, and we get paid um, uh, to operate the system. I mean, give us an elevator, we operate. And that, that's right. been a relationship in LA. And the new RFP is similar. Metro wants to retain control of the system name, the sponsorship revenues, the advertising revenues, the fare structure, the station locations, and therefore with that control, they hire a vendor to do operations. I see. Well, maybe you can tell us how is Metro Bike Share or how is BTS doing running Metro Bike Share in LA? Metro Bike Share is on the rise. Um, the pandemic was tough, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the downtown LA area where there is not a big residential uh, component. The ridership went way down in a pandemic. Right. And unlike most forms of public transit, Metro Bike Share bounced back very quickly. So uh, we came back to pre pandemic levels, I believe, in uh, 2022. And we have, over the past uh, couple of years, over doubled ridership. We've tripled low income usage of Metro Bike Share. So the ridership is uh, is greatly on the rise. How many people use it on a daily basis? Do you have those kinds of figures at your fingertips or not? We do. Um, I, I, we, we get a few thousand rides on a daily basis. Now, okay. the specifics of the statistics with Metro Bike Share, um, with, under our current contract, Metro uh, owns the system and we're, we're you know, besides what's in the staff report about this procurement, um, we are not always at liberty to release statistics on our own. Metro does that on a fairly regular basis. Well, let me ask you, who uses it? We've been talking on the show. I often feel like it's that bike share programs are used by novice bike riders, people who aren't, who you know, who don't have their own bike or maybe aren't serious bike riders. But we've gotten some listener email that sort of proves me wrong that says a lot of people that are experienced bike riders like to use it because they like to use the e-bikes or something like that. Does BTS have e-bikes in the Metro Bike Share system? And can, can you tell us a little bit of background of who you think is using the bikes on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do have the bikes We introduced them in 2019. And we continue uh, every every new bike we put into the system is an electric bike. So we continue oh. to grow the electric bike fleet. And the electric bikes get um, significantly more usage than the classic bikes, right. uh, which is great. And we think for the geographic layout of LA, we do agree that e-bikes are are the key to the future. In terms of the specifics of who to use it, 
again, like I can, t- I can talk in general and bike share systems in terms of the specific demographics that is Metro's information to release. Um, right. Okay. But there, there de- absolutely is a large component of ridership, which are daily commuters, um, whether they own their own bikes or not, that can, that can vary. Right. Um, but the the ridership between the daily commuters and the occasional users is typically about 50-50. Um, so you get, and I would say also in, in the Los Angeles area, we do have these two major components of the system. We have the DTLA and what we call the Central LA system, which goes down to USC and Koreatown. And then we have the West Side system, which uh, the West Side system uh, gets more occasional use right. because of its proximity to the bike paths and right, right. the beach and stuff. But there definitely, there absolutely is a large component of ridership in all bike share systems that are uh, regular commuters. Great. Okay. Well, it sounds like things are going well with BTS at Metro Bike Share. So I'm curious, why does the city of LA or why are they looking at having a new? operator come in and, and why are they looking at Lyft? I mean, I guess you probably can't speak to why they're looking at Lyft. What are they telling you about why they want to change? Well, the contract is up. So oh. it was, you know, we've been operating for seven years and there was a seven year length of the contract. So the reason a new RFP is out was a absolute necessity from a contractual basis. Um, RFP stands for? Sorry, a request for proposals. Okay. So it's what agencies put out when they need some services. They uh, And they're going to either pay or not pay for them. They put out RFPs. Okay. So what happened, our, our initial contract was up uh, in 2022, but uh, Metro was trying to figure out what direction they wanted to go on a business model with the system. And so we had several extensions on our initial contract. So finally, in 2023, they did get the uh, request for proposals out. Uh, It may have been the two only responders uh, were Bike Transit and Lyft. Interestingly enough, um, the bike share industry, starting in 2017, it exploded. There was all the Silicon Valley money that came in. Uber got into it. Lyft followed uh, there are a bunch of Chinese dockless companies uh, and American imitations that came in, and many of them went bankrupt. So the industry has, uh, and so this happened in scooter is happening in scooters now too. Right. But um, it's basically for large city bike share operations. It's Lyft and bike transit, and bike tran. It's such a interesting, I don't know, paradox. Lyft is this uh, multi billion dollar publicly traded car company and we are a small i'm the 100 owner uh only focus on bike share operations so uh it has become this very strange and very small industry so we are the only two respondents to this rfp okay well we've heard some pretty strong criticisms of lyft from supporters of bts and in fact there were so many supporters of bts that uh that a meeting in la just had to be postponed. Um, how did BTS become kind of a, a grassroots cause? Yeah, it was incredible. I uh, the recommendation to award the the Metro Bike Share system to mm-hmm. Lyft came out on January eighth or ninth, uh, one of those days. For again reasons beyond my understanding, we believe that Metro is trying to do this under the radar and very quick. The, uh, but it does have to be approved by the board. So this was a staff recommendation. So the Metro board is a whole thing. Right. There, there's a committee meeting 10 days later. 
and the agenda for the committee meeting, which is the first time that you can actually make a comment, came out comes out uh, Friday before because of MLK Day. Within about five days, over 700 letters came into this Metro board. I showed up to the meeting a couple hours earlier. There was a protest outside. It was like almost brought tears to my eyes. I don't necessarily think this is about bike transit. This is about something that's like a lot bigger than us. I do think that because of Lyft and Uber's fight to not allow drivers to be employees starting in 2020 and going through 2023 brought a lot of people against their the way they do business. And I think there is a recognition that Los Angeles used to have a really strong public transit system. Yeah. And the car companies bought it and then shut it down. Yeah. And I think there is a real existential question that people are recognizing like, is Metro really going to sell their bike share system to a car company that has a record of exiting markets, including Santa Monica? when it doesn't work for them anymore. Right. And there's an obvious union piece to this. We are unionized in LA. Right. Um, our CEO, my colleague, Kristen Gavin, has worked really closely to negotiate that contract. On top of our union contract, we offer our employees a four-day work week, which is not even in the contract. And so not only has Bike Transit been able to work with TWU really well, we offer a benefit beyond our contract to all of our employees nationwide. So we think that's garnered a loyalty not only from employees, but piled on top of the Lyft and Uber record with the unions. It's really brought up some amazing both labor and transportation questions in L.A. Well, let me ask you, what what does BTS bring to Metro that Lyft wouldn't? Well, as I mentioned, we're a, we're a company that is 100% dedicated to bike share. Okay. We say what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and then we do it. We've never exited a market. We haven't changed our business strategy. We provide a response. We're a responsible company. And as much as, I, as I'd like to be able to offer the world at very low price, that's not something that we do. But we do, we're honest, and we provide amazing customer service. We do tons of outreach and event support and marketing. And it's we do it to support Metro. It's not to put, no one knows who Bike Transit is. You put people right. listening will probably never remember our company name <laughs> because our ego is such that we are behind the scenes and we put forth the Metro brand. And if you go to a, a Metro bike share stations, you're going to find clean bikes. You're going to find working bikes. And we provide great customer service that meet our service levels. And we provide that to all the stations in the systems and not just sort of core density downtown or west side stations. One of the pieces of uh, our contract that we've done incredibly well, and we put this in our RFP, is supporting um, the minority and disadvantaged business program for Metro and committing to over 30% of revenues going to small and disadvantaged businesses. And we've been a good partner in that, and we expect to do that going forward. Are you guys in lower income communities and communities of color? Where Metro Bike Share is in Los Angeles is complete has to date and as I said will completely be determined by Metro. Oh, Metro has retained that control. I mean, we would love to and we believe and we have recommended to Metro ways that Metro Bike Share should be 20,000 
bicycles. I mean, Los Angeles deserves a robust bike share system, and we want to push Metro and the city of LA in that system, um, whether it's through bike share or a combination of bike share and bike library. Um, we right. believe that those are two super powerful tools. We certainly are in in communities of color. What we have done really well over the past few years is made lower the access to barrier to entry. So the price of Metro bike share at 175 is the lowest cost of bike share in the nation. So that's already a low barrier to entry. And to, for folks to get the reduced fare pass, we have gradually lowered and lowered that barrier. So the uptake of it has been over like about uh, 3X in the last two years. So we're really happy with that. I mean, I will say though, in general, taking away income, bike share in residential areas versus bike share in more dense areas is tough. And ridership right. is naturally going to be lower in purely residential areas. And that can overlap with incomes, uh, you know, lower, lower income communities. But what it takes is commitment from the agency and from the vendor to prioritize that to put stations to make sure you engage communities and the right folks in the communities and to, um, you know, to ensure that we're partnering with them so that is it accepted transportation choice. Right. We are not going to stop fighting until the Metro board <laughs> lowers its gavel. So we believe that our, our proposal was not judged on an apples to apples basis on a financial right. basis we did score better in quality points than lift and um we're just gonna we're gonna continue to encourage voices to speak out come february 15th is the operation safety and customer experience committee at metro and um if last month was an indication we expect to have a really large turnout in support and for people to speak their voices as to what direction they think bike share should go in Los Angeles. Before we leave, Allison, there's been a lot of questions about how we can get more families on bike share and how we can get more parents using bike share. Does BTS offer uh, child seats on any of the bike shares or, or cargo bikes? So I think if there were an opportunity, it might look a little bit more like a daily bike rental. And a place that you go to get it and that you could ride around with your kid while the adult is riding the bike share bike. In terms of cargo bikes, uh, actually San, San Gabriel Valley and some other um, areas on the outskirts of LA have started e-bike libraries. And those e-bike libraries do include cargo bikes. And those can be family friendly. That is more geared towards the resident than the traveler. So you could potentially uh, have a cargo bike that you pay uh, a low cost for because this is supported by the government um, on, on a monthly basis. So we actually did propose a substantial e-bike library in our Metro Bike Share proposal that Metro asked for as an optional task. We would be so excited to be able to provide a fleet of family e-cargo bikes that could be rented out on a regular basis by residents. Well, that sounds great. Well, Allison Cohen, thanks so much. Also, thanks for lending us your mechanic, Anne-Marie Drolet. She comes on the show every now and then and answers questions. So we're big supporters of hers and of BTS. Thanks Thank very you much for, for what coming you do on with Bike, Bike Talk. Talk in LA. And, um, you know, continuing to fight the good fight to rip the culture away from cars and towards towards other modes. So and I really appreciate you having me on today. And that was Allison Cohen from Bicycle Transit Systems. 
If you like the show, like us on social media, send us your questions, send emails. We love the feedback. And if you have any bike mechanic questions, please send them to biketalk.org and I will answer them. Great. When I go into a bookstore, I always go to the urban planning section first, and then I go to the sports section to look for bicycle books. But we've got both of those sections covered in our bookshop on our website at biketalk.org. And we have books by Jeff Speck, The Walkable City. We have Crossroads by Ben Goldfarb, children's books, urban planning books, and books about bicycles. So if you're looking for uh, something to read for yourself or a gift for someone else, go to biketalk.org. I'm Taylor Nichols. And for Lindsey Sturman and Redro Lay and Nick Richard, who was on assignment with his grandmother in Arizona, thanks for listening, you guys, and we'll see you next week. Stacy with a bike thought. They say sharing is caring. We hope that you will share your bike story with others. It makes such a difference when you show up and educate electeds and drivers by telling your story. And here are some other things you can share. Bike Grid, a connected, protected network of streets. Every city needs one. Anyone at any age should be able to bike to any place at any time, day or night, without prior planning or an entourage. Paint is not protection. Cyclists cannot injure or kill motorists. Driving is a privilege, not a right. Speed kills. There will never be a bell loud enough, a helmet strong enough, or clothing bright enough to make up for poor infrastructure. Have you heard these before? I hope so. Will you hear us say it again? You betcha. We will always strive to keep it fresh, but we will keep on saying it, and hopefully you will say it too, and keep on saying it until safe biking everywhere comes true. This episode of Bike Talk is sponsored by the law offices of Pocross and De Los Reyes, with offices in Los Angeles and Bakersfield and serving all of Southern California. And that was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around. Get on your bike. Sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around.
Cut yourself a bag.